I listened to a, a, a series, a little talk. I can't remember the guy, like Matt something. He was doing a talk on this book he was reading called uh, First Class Passengers on a Sinking Ship. And I don't know too much about the book, but when he was talking about it, he said basically the, the author, who's like a big historian, uh, was formulating like a theory on how empires collapse. And his point of view was that the empires collapse mainly due to, you know, um, elite infighting and then that makes the system incapable of adapting to the changes in the environment so and i'm pretty sure um you know the whole political polarization is probably a kind of reflection of that of the of the rulers just infighting over how to solve quote these problems and ultimately it's going to cause everything to break up i'm not i'm not too sure if that's correct but it seems it seems to have some truth in it Yeah, I can't. I can't help thinking that uh, five years from now we're going to look back. Uh, going to look back at uh, 2022 and the Ukraine wars with uh, kind of an envy, or those were the good old days, you know, where everything was normal. So even though it's a really, really. Oh, uh, going south. You muted. You muted. I lost you. Right. I wasn't saying anything interesting anyway, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to read the whole Ukraine thing. I don't know. I, I do agree, though. Yeah, you're right. I think it will be. We will look back and think, geez, yeah, that wasn't, wasn't too bad those days. But um, I, yeah, it's it's definitely it's, it's weird how the narrative has shifted. Actually, even in the mainstream media the other week, they were showing all of um, when um, Putin did the when they did the um, the referendum and they did all the votes and then they were out celebrating like you know and of course it was like ninety eight percent for Putin and um, even on the Western media they were showing all the celebrations and everything which I thought was well I was listening to some other people and they were saying yeah that is pretty crazy because the Western media has been just you know they don't want to show anything of Putin at all really you know anything um, that could make him look like he's having a good time now. and of course it was huge celebrations and they were singing the national anthem and they had thousands of people well i mean obviously maybe some of them paid to be there but out in um in moscow or St. petersburg um celebrating and you kind of think yeah maybe they are thinking fuck like this isn't how we wanted it to go um i don't know i, I honestly don't know i don't know how anyone can really know the propaganda on both sides is immense but i definitely think i, I definitely think that they've they blew up that pipeline and I think the Americans did that because they don't want, the whole thing about this war is that Germany was getting too cozy with Russia and America doesn't want that. So, and of course, Russia wants to kick America out of Europe. So, um, but the idea that they want a huge land grab, I mean, they've got plenty of land. Um, I suppose there is definitely the, the point that if you're coming back to the energy thing, there was a lot of that South uh, Eastern region of Ukraine, I think is quite energy rich. I think there's quite a lot of things there that, we never really knew about that they needed um, in the global economy. I didn't even realize, I think there's like a, a plant there that produces, it's one of only two that, was it a nitrogen plant or so, or some sort of, there's a gas for making the, an element, for making the neon gas that is then, and they make it at this factory, and then that neon gas is used for the lasers for etching microchips. Um, one of only two of the main suppliers in the world apparently, so that was, in i think that region part of the, one of the regions that russia took hold of um so yeah i think there's a lot of things under the surface but but he, the, the set from from the money point of view as well i think putin is, is definitely played a blinder it's you know clear that 
the Russian economy is not doing too bad. Yeah, okay, they don't have McDonald's anymore, and they don't have <laughs> they don't have some of the luxuries they used to have. But they've been cutting interest rates, and I don't know. I've heard a British guy who's living over there, and he said, yeah, it's not too bad. Like, yeah, we've lost. A few, there's a few things you can't get anymore, but generally things seem all right. Um, he's living in St. Petersburg. Um, so yeah, and I don't think I don't think prices have gone up as they have, as much as they have like in our countries. So yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, if you if you look at the the word or the concept of geopolitics, it's uh, you know what Tom said is uh, is totally right. Uh, geopolitics is uh, on the most basic level, it's how politics is shaped by where countries and and continents are. You know how how the how the planet looks physically, and then you have a, a um, what do you call a sort of Atlanticist or or kind of a, you know, ocean-based countries like England is the is the best example, but also America uh, um, is in that kind of thing. Uh, and and the greatest uh, land masses are Eurasia, right? And with Asia and and Europe being joined. And if you read some books and text about uh, geopolitics, it's almost like the main the main object of at least Western geopolitics is to prevent Russia. Which has all the raw uh, materials from cooperating with Germany, which has all the uh, brains and the know-how and the and the technical skills. So, uh, and of course, a, a basic part of geopolitics is the the good stuff, which in our days like the uh, fossil fuels, you know, gas and oil and stuff. So, so preventing Russia from uh, selling the good stuff, the energy to Germany and Western Europe, that is kind of Geopolitics 101, if you read one of those books uh, 10 or 20 years ago, uh, which I did because I was in some kind of geopolitics discussion club uh, back in Oslo. Uh, and uh, as you said, Tom, blowing up the pipeline <laughs> after building it since 2011, that's like it's been 11 years in the making. Uh, and it was the uh, uh, Nord Stream 2 was uh, completed all the way to uh, northeast Germany, to Greifswald, where I, I visited the uh, 22 years ago, um, summer holiday. Uh, so it, it was ready in like September last uh, last year. And then it took uh, forever to kind of, uh, you know, what do you call it? Accept it or certify it or, or do all kinds of paperwork for it. And of course, uh, America was no small deal of the problem of, of how to certify it or, or 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 accept it and, and make the paperwork for it because they didn't want, they, they've been, Fighting Nord Stream two tooth and nail since 2011, right? And uh, <laughs> and you have the opening of the um, Baltic pipe uh, on the day after the explosions. Would you believe it? And and they actually cross the pipelines from Russia. They cross at Bornholm, and they go from west from from the Norwegian gas fields and and to Poland. And the whole point, which I even said in the speeches at the opening ceremony on last Tuesday, uh, the whole point of the pipeline because it's a totally unnecessary pipeline. The whole point of it is to, uh, you know, flip the finger at Russia and, and make the Russian pipeline unnecessary or, or superfluous. Um, so uh, it was, you know, just a crazy two days with, with the, the pipes blowing up on Monday, and they then they opened the Norwegian <coughs> pipeline in Poland on Tuesday. Uh, yeah. So so this is this is kind of this is kind of a neon, big neon light sign with the uh, geopolitics, uh, you know, blinking 24/7 above all these events. Uh, these are not these are not kind of small 
random event. These are planned for decades and yeah, all the rest of it. Yes, the timing is is always fascinating with these kind of things. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember last year when America pulled out of Afghanistan, and obviously it was a complete shit show. And I just remember thinking that is huge. That is a really big event, and I don't think it, you know, not for all the reasons that most of the media was saying. You know, oh, this disaster! Look, they've left all these people there, and they've made a real hash of it. But actually, more because it's a signal that you know to China and Russia that America's on the run. I mean, they've been on the run for years now. Every single military escapade has gone tits up, really. It hasn't really gone. I mean, when do military escapades ever really turn out how you envisage? But still, not exactly a good list, is it, um, how things have gone for the, the American empire in the closing stages. And, and now you just have these, I mean, if you talk about leaders being psychopaths, but I mean, in terms of the ones that are actually clever and switched on, I mean, you've got to give it to, to Putin and people like that. If you actually listen to his speech yeah, and his knowledge of history and geopolitics, he is quite a, I think he's quite a master chess guy. I'm not saying I like the guy, but compare him to like, you know, Joe Biden. Um, I mean, whether or not he's in charge, I, I don't know. I mean, how can he be? He's just like senile, isn't he? But <laughs> it's kind of laughable. The other day he was like, oh, um, is so-and-so in the audience or whatever and she's dead he'd forgotten that like one of his closest colleagues where's judy or whatever <laughs> oh my jackie. god like, I think it was jackie. Jackie, yeah where's jackie is yeah. jackie here <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah it's just yeah incredibly funny but yeah not so funny but as well i, I kind of agree with you a bit the difference is that i look at you know I'm, I'm a very old person you can see my beard is very long and everything so, so i remember how politics was um let's say 40 years ago when you when you watched the news as a kid you know so so you had all these bright clever german politicians and finnish politicians and kekon and and, and you have, have people with great integrity and who are real statesmen right and, and I, I see this even today you know with putin He's one of these guys. He's kind of the last of the Mohicans. Some people call him the only adult in the room, you know? So so, so instead of kind of, for me, instead of putting Putin up on a pedestal as being especially great, I'm more like seeing all these other guys as total morons, you know? You're this trust uh, who everybody describes as uh, less than uh, less than average intelligence or something. And you have sleepy Joe Biden who, Talks to dead people and even handshakes on on the on, on the stage with, with the people who are not there, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean the the caliber of these these leaders has just been declining. I think along with generally, you know, our civilization and our standards. A lot. I think you could you could parallel you could equate many things that are going wrong in a straight line. You know, when you look at the state of the leaders now, I think this may be, I may be wrong. Someone correct me if I am, but I think when like Rome fell, I think, you know, just gradually the leaders, you know, the people in charge, they just got more and more incompetent. And for whatever reason, maybe because they were being lead poisoned, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I think that maybe is a, yeah, a sign because, you know, you look at like certain leaders that we had in the past and they just were a lot more uh, erudite and switched on I, I i mean in our country it's yeah it's just yeah it's terrible <laughs> but and not that i would I'd ever put much faith in any of the politicians that have been around in my lifetime apart from i suppose the only one that you sort of think god he's a bit of a like machiavellian character and that would be tony blair i mean he's still got his fingers in power um and he's all over the place he's, and he's still you know very involved with the, the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change, and then he's got his, you know, of course he's being paid by Bill Gates, and so yeah, okay, there's still some Western leaders that are probably a bit more. You could give them some credit for being, you know, 
psychopaths <laughs> and and clever and sort of you know Blair is actually yeah he's scary yeah but anyway let's not talk about politicians so. <laughs> Well, yeah, but they're they're just all psychopaths. I mean, if you would ever think about the philosopher king ideal, I don't think anybody who is uh, in their right mind would aspire to be a political leader. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one one more thing I would say I want to say is like I did take a peek like during the last American presidential election between um, Biden and Trump, and I only peeked. And I'm like, wow, it's like Goya's painting was like put up on the stage of Saturn eating his son to two representatives of Kronos <laughs> not being able to accept that the sun is setting on their empire. Or maybe all these people in power are, are tools placed there by the invisible, unknowable elites, um, you know, like they're just puppets. Yep, uh, they're uh, puppets of the meta cortex, the meta alien cortex, aka our larger prison culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately, yeah, the, the financiers, you know, these, yeah, these shadowy people that run BlackRock and these, you know, various corporations clearly have way more power. I mean, they have done for a long time, I think. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it's always best to look beyond and say, who are the, the tight-knit group of elites? Well, we kind of know who they probably are. I mean, they're not. They usually do show things in plain sight. But regardless of that, yeah, it, yeah, um, yeah. No point in worrying about the day-to-day -day politics. There's, uh, yeah, more important things to, to focus on, I think. So, yeah. Um, did, were there any other talking points that we had in terms for this meeting? I, I'm trying to think we should move on, move the conversation on to something other that people want to talk about and instead of the, the money and the power <laughs> and the war. But I always end up bringing it back to that. Well, we, we, had, we had started a conversation um, last week, but we couldn't, you know, we couldn't record the recording, just failed. Uh, so we were starting, a, we were having a conversation on a post uh, that was describing um, uh, a population um was it in new guinea i can't remember <laughs> uh, but it was in the pacific anyway and there was a Sol solomon islands solomon island maybe yes where where the the author and anthropologist had witnessed um, in within a week uh, a population moving fast from a, a very connected nearly hunter-gatherer state to suddenly uh, domination by the alien cortex and he actually really put that in in writing very well with a description of, of physical symptoms uh, and I the, the post is uh, is is on the link under the the meeting today if you if you want to look at it but we were going to continue the discussion but um, if people haven't looked at the post here it might be better to push that back for another time we may go back the other point of the of the of the other points that we were thinking uh, last time that we were going to uh, maybe return to the topic of magic and revisit some of Lionel's works and read a bit of Lionel. That's what we were saying now. It's as usual, the Extinction IT meeting are without structure, without plan, without organization. And it's really good that way. I think it's nice that we just, you know, go with the flow with whoever's there and brings up like you, Tom, you had an experience today and it brought on economy and all sorts of other things. So, you know, we should, maybe we should go with the flow and we've got so many things that we can discuss and there's so many different people who have different take, takes here and a different expertise. So, I don't uh, really want to go back really on what was last Sunday because um, there was um, I, I didn't have much time this week to, to to read and do. I was outside and I was doing physical things and I just couldn't really put. I was not online and so I I'm not. My head is not really there. So um, that's what I had to say. 
Um, anybody else has something that they want to bring up? Yeah, I would like to bring bring up the uh, dilemma or problem or the concept of uh, uh, sabotage, uh, and then I mean, you know, dark green ecologist sabotage, uh, uh, as opposed to the kind of sabotage we saw last week in in the Baltic Sea. Uh, you know, as the, the um, you know, apart from the geopolitical effects of the sabotage there, there was also the, the case that it was the biggest human uh, methane release uh, ever in history. So it's, it's, it's like uh, it's like the methane emissions from an, 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 an entire European-sized country, or you know, like France or whatever, uh, or all the cars of France or something. Uh, so it's like um, you don't you don't want to you don't want to create an ecological catastrophe if you're doing it for for a green activist cause. Uh, um, and I think it's to me anyway in my fiction writing uh, mind it's become kind of a bit more difficult to to even write fiction about uh, great. Green activist sabotage uh, actions after this real life event. Uh, it's always like that. I really hate that because I have many, many, many ideas about flying drones around Heathrow and then uh, Roger Hallam goes and does that and then I don't like it anymore because I see it in real life, you know. Uh, so if anyone has any thoughts about, you know, it always seems like. Uh, like we we should do something or you know activists in the in the world should do something uh, about these bad things uh, and then it proves over and over and over again that the the normies the, the current society is much better at doing these crazy things <laughs> much much better and more efficient at sabotaging itself and crashing itself and uh, accelerating its own collapse. So if anyone has anything to say in that line, I, I would be interestingly listening to that. Yeah, I was, um, I went, I didn't come on here after I did that. I went to that Just Stop Oil thing. Um, that was quite funny. Um, that was a few months back. And um, it was quite heartening because there was a few young people there I felt like it was sort of back to the future. It's funny that they all seem to be now taking the line that go with um, you know, more kind of traditional green PC stuff like that was done back in the eighties and seventies, you know. They were on about going and sitting. I think they already had done some sit-ins at petrol stations or uh, chaining themselves to fences at power plants or whatever. But I don't know. They I kind of there was one guy actually who I got talking to, a really young guy, and um I didn't go back to the meetings just because I sort of thought this is kind of pointless all of the as i think i said on here or i sent some messages on the, the reddit chat actually and um but i i was just kind of heartened by the the willingness to continue doing that sort of stuff even though i, I don't think that's the right tactic anymore it, well not on like a if you're going to do that kind of stuff then you'd have to be a bit kryptonite about it or lone wolf rather than trying to be actively like an organized group um so yeah i don't know I, I kind of took positives from it that there was young people there that were willing to sort of quit their studies for the cause well i think the guy actually i'm thinking of he just finished university but he was very young so but most people there were you know it was just kind of yeah the same old rehash of the original lectures that xr were doing you know back in 2018 which i went to the first ones of those so 
it's like what's changed guys like right and, and and talking about appeasing to the government is like what? i don't understand but alongside that as i say they were actually talking about doing well there was elements of the group that were they were saying yeah if people really want to go down the hardcore route we do have sort of route for people that are willing to get arrested and all of that um but anyway i i obviously brought up what hugh had brought up about the fact that the, the police crimes bill was coming in and they kind of shot themselves in the foot because that meant that any protests were going to just be because it's so broad now if you turn up the police can just go oh you're making too much noise and in the actual police crimes bill it talks about um reasons to shut down a protest could be noise so how do you define that they could just turn up and be like there's too much noise here even though there isn't and there's no evidence of it and just close the thing down but and they got very defensive about that there was one guy there who was not happy with me at all he just was like yeah he was really he said he thought i should leave the meeting <laughs> he didn't he did not take kindly to me pissing on his bonfire about that they were going to do more protests so yeah <laughs> i think what, what happened in uh, sorry i think what happened in uh, in western ireland yesterday uh got me thinking because there was a, a petrol station uh, that blew up i don't know if it was an accident or whatever so, uh, but of course, yeah, there was an explosion. It, 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 gone. Yeah, but I, 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 uh, it's very sad actually because there was an awful yeah. lot of people. Yeah, I know, I know some people were killed. So, so uh, yeah. of course, of course, uh, the uh, the the way to do it would be to to do it after hours when it's closed and there's no people even cleaning in them or anything. Uh, you know, just for my uh, eco saboteur uh, novel that I'm writing on. Uh, so, I think it's interesting with the petrol stations because they are spread all over uh, the western civilization or all over the global civilization really because it's the lifeblood of of this uh, cancerous civilization everybody has to have diesel or, or petrol and i think it's because it's so uh, let's say decentralized and uh, there is one in every village or town in the world which would be an easy way to to attack or to create a wave of uh, you know, just uh, totally mad young eco activists uh, lighting them up or something. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of stunned that it hasn't happened yet. You know, when I was a young eco activist uh, around the age of uh, Greta when, when she started, uh, I was uh, bicycling into town to go to one of these activist meetings, and there was a, I think it was a shell station on fire <laughs> halfway to halfway to the city, and everybody was standing around looking, and I stood there with my bike watching this petrol station burn, you know, even the gas tanks on the ground were, were burning and exploding and stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of uh, uh, stunned that with the, the claim that we have had an, an environmental movement and, and that we, are, we have a, a climate movement, I'm, I'm really skeptical that we really do have a climate movement because if people are not uh, sabotaging the petrol stations, do we really have a, a climate movement on this planet? I would say no. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we do. No. Yeah, really. I, I was very struck by um, what's it? Uh, Fight like an animal, which GS recommended, and I've been listening to the whole podcast from the beginning, and it's the best fucking analysis of of everything to do with the uh, climate movement from a guy who's been involved in what was it? Oh God, what was he? Earth First, I think he was like in America and was a, a militant activist fighting against pipelines and um, various default station whatever it's a sort of again a heroic protester kind of guy and he in one episode talks about how at the end of the day if you look at uh, well, this is one of the things he mentioned was the iraqi insurgency against the united states and the whole um organization around them whatever alternate iraqi government the united states installed 
and saying that you had this sort of very well-armed rebellion of people who were extremely determined to destroy the um, infrastructure of uh, Iraq's oil industry. And you were talking about like very heavily armed people who are, you know, uh, fighters who didn't care if they lived or died, you know, people who are willing to use the full force of whatever weapons and blowing up stuff that they could. And they couldn't put a dent in the output of uh, the Iraqi oil industry in all that chaos. And talking about how there was this uh, also like a, a sort of attack on a, a massive refinery, I think it was in Saudi Arabia, which again is one of those things that they talk about as a choke point. And they basically disrupted the activity of that refinery for like two days or something with some explosion. And so even with the all out um, force that could be brought by like a guerrilla war, you can't fucking disrupt the, the system. Um, and, and whether there are maybe some things that could, could cause more disruption than that, but the, the guys seem to very well make the point that there's really like, you know, there's nothing any any individual organization could do at this point against the power of the system that's, it's got all its, you know, shit covered. And I guess, you know, it's just that the collapse under its own weight is the only thing that's going to, to stop it. And sometimes I think, you know, am I taking this view just because, you know, it's easier for me to say, oh, there's nothing you can do. Um, but, um, and this is why, you know, when you talk about the just oil people, I look at them and I think, oh, these are really heroic people who are willing to do something. You know, they're doing something and I'm not doing anything. But then as soon as they start going, oh, we're lying here in the road so that we can get windmills and solar, right? Uh, and then you just go, oh, no, please, fuck off. Go away. Please be quiet. Yeah, this, this, this is my problem. They could not understand the irony. It's like, look, you understand, like, that civilization is the cause of all of this. And yet you want to have your cake and eat it, which is exactly what he was saying. And they just, you know, and they want to appease to government. And it's like, yeah, we'll get clean energy. We'll get insulation in people's homes. And you're like, no, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, you know, you can't, you're just, uh, you're mixing apples and oranges. It's just a, a stupid philosophy. It's like, yeah, okay, go and get the government to do something. I mean, they know. This is what I try to tell them, but you're just talking to a brick wall. They're, they're not there yet, a lot of them. There were, as I say, the younger people, I think there was a few that were like, oh, pricked up their ears, and they kind of got it. You could tell, but they weren't going to admit in front of the oldies that that they were that extreme. And I think that's why I turned them off, because they were like, this guy's too extreme. Well, one of the guys was like almost, he was really emotional about it. He was like, he was telling this story about how his son, and his son's girlfriend had told him on the beach in the summer they weren't going to have children and whatnot because of the climate crisis. And I agreed with him that that was tragic, that they thought that that was the solution. But and then he said, you've got to, you know, we've got to have positivity. Like, you know, you've got to just do this. Like, there, is, there must be hope. And I was trying to tell them to lose all hope. And <laughs> it, I, I probably my tactics were not as good as I, I can see why Lord Hugh was a bit of a Marmite character. People either fucking <laughs> <alien> <laughs> <or> they... <laughs> so. Well, yeah, it's that it's that whole thing of you don't know how collapse will visit you. It's like I've had I've had people ask me like, "What are you going to do?" It's like, well, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'll just look around me. If grandma needs help crossing the road, I'll help grandma cross the road. If a child is crying, I'll give them a hug. You know, if if someone needs help lifting something, I'll help them do that. I'll just look around and see if I can be useful. That's like all I can do as an individual person, you know? Yeah, uh, to back to Tom again. Um, I think what you alluded to is the very diff very important um, uh, difference between, you know, for the movement, for the radical eco-movement. Are we trying to save civilization or are we trying to make the best situation possible for after the collapse of civilization? 
to me, that's kind of the cutting edge that I see uh, at the moment. And uh, I think all, pardon the expression, but I think uh, I think they are doomed. All all the green organizations that are trying to insulate uh, and recycle better and make everything last longer within the civilization period or concept, they are kind of doomed because th their approach or their goals and their tactics are essentially doomed or, or, or doomed to failure anyway. Uh, so so if, if you're going to risk your life and sit in the motorway or whatever, at least you should do it for some cause that isn't, uh, that isn't uh, guaranteed doomed, if you understand what I'm saying. I, I would go on a motorway every day of the week in my youth uh, if there was a cause that had real chance of, you know, making things better. Uh, but the only thing I can see, uh, the only possibility I can see, and I, I'm talking within my, my fictional uh, novel universe again, the only thing I could, can see that could start a wave of major change is something like people coordinating on the internet and then in the middle of the night setting uh, hundreds of uh, petrol stations on fire and, and sharing uh, videos anonymously on the internet and, and all the cool uh, goth kids or eco-activist kids, you know, catching on and spreading this fire of petrol stations around the planet. That's, that's you know, just a, just a, uh, a writing ID for a concept. That's a great plot to your novel. That's a great thing to your novel. Yeah, and I, and I need and I need more of those. So if you can send me some kind of plot ideas like that uh, for my novel, because I'm trying to make my brain work the best I can. And it's really, really hard, as our discussion also indicates, it's really, really hard to come up with something that really could catch on in that way I'm talking about, and also create some kind of change in the, in the way things play out. I think the only change we really can accomplish, you know, if you have all the, all the resources and all the people we need, the only change we can that matters that we can accomplish is to collapse the system faster than it would otherwise do. And as I'm, I've said over and over again, it seems all the time that the normies are much better, way better at the at, the, at yeah, accelerating but, these things. That, that's the problem, isn't it? Because all this talk of accelerationism, and in the last year, the accelerationism has all come from from what the government have done, which has all been great news, as as you would say, because. I mean, they really have uh, accelerated things, and I think I think if there's one positive in that respect from activism, things falling apart more quickly, and or opportunities for that to make that happen, probably will come about because there will be tougher times when there'll be more people that are open to to realizing, or, or yeah, they'll open their eyes to realizing that the causes of these problems are, you know, civilizational, and 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 that and that you know maybe it's not such a a great project you know and then it needs to come down a peg um so yeah maybe there'll be opportunities to to do that in that in those times but yeah i mean just it's insane like yeah you couldn't as you say the the everyday um, um events are stranger than fiction really <laughs> yeah so. yeah it's it's that um analogy hugh was using where it's like the alcoholic isn't going to quit so just give them another six pack but yeah, like um, another thing with the um, with the collapse, it's like you know the the machine's oil crusted heart is about to go into cardiac arrest. So it's like, and you know um, when the uh, tendrils of commerce start to retreat, the the habitats can start to heal again, like all the ecosystems that can start healing, and then uh, life can start to return to our uh, shores in more ways than one: the shores of our consciousness, the literal shores of our planet, 
and our land. Um, I mean, I don't want to romanticize it too much because I know for a fact there's going to be tons of suffering, but it's like, you know, you just got to navigate. You got to go through. It's like, I don't, the reason why I always say, I don't know, is like, yeah, you know, it's possible that I can get unceremoniously killed in urban crossfire violence, but you know, it's like, you don't know. It's like, it's possible, but it's a waste of time to muse on those things because we ultimately don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think it could be very positive times. Like you know, things becoming more localized, and and you know, it's a good point, DB. I don't think it's too far off to romanticize it. We maybe we need a bit of that in our lives. Um, it it will be incredibly painful. I mean, already, yeah, you're hearing about you know restaurants and and bars and all these places shutting down but maybe there'll be local like you know drinking dens popping up again or <laughs> like little underground things where people can meet and because they haven't got other things to do now they can't afford to do this or you know they have to borrow someone's you know some potatoes from someone or whatever you know like people will start doing more favors for each other and being able to be more localized and get to know their neighbors a bit more so i think there will be a lot of positives to come from yeah from hard times so i think that's if always the Christians are right and there is a hell then that's some sort of environment in which i'm forced to get to know my neighbors that's, that's why i'm not going to last very long <laughs> I, think that's that's a, thing to say. <laughs> I think it's important about the uh, the suffering uh, aspect uh, because it's very easy at least for, for our enemies it's very easy to to uh, spin that in in the uh, direction of evil uh, you know when we talk about acceleration uh, it's uh, the goal of acceleration is to to make collapse happen faster earlier uh, but i think it's uh, as long as you take the time to understand it properly it's not a question of suffering or non-suffering it's a question of a an amount uh, a vast amount of suffering that is going to happen anyway uh, and it can happen like 20 years earlier 20 years later it's going to happen and uh, there's absolutely nothing we can do about it um, and the the carrot as i was talking about earlier is that the 20 year difference let's say uh, of when civilization collapses may in fact be the difference between having a chance of a, of a living um, biosphere and not having a chance or just having cockroaches or uh, what do you call those stinging things in the desert the um, spiderish uh, lobsterish uh, things in the desert scorpions scorpions yeah you, you would like to have a, a biosphere with more than cockroaches and scorpions uh, and, and the timing of the collapse of human civilization accelerated by activists or just uh, nor stupid normies who don't know it, it's, it's it, they are accelerating it uh, that timing may uh, decide whether you will have a living green biosphere and not just uh, some kind of heat extreme uh, insects left i believe yeah you know and another thing is i mean i'm not sure obviously because talking about the future in a lot of ways is always futile but you know maybe the system will fall apart before you know the oil gets all depleted you know they probably won't even be able to deplete it all before it all falls apart like maybe the um the infighting and the bickering and all that will just cause you know everything to just 
collapse because there's not enough oil. Everyone's fighting over, you know, who controls the flow. The flow is getting smaller. You can just see, like, I'm pretty sure there's like a breaking point where if the flow gets like at a certain area, it won't be worth it anymore and everything just, you know, falls apart. That'd be pretty good if the the remaining oil, most of what's left doesn't get burned at all. Yes, I think we will we will come to a point uh, in, after society collapses or during, where people may know that there is still some oil in the tanks up there on the hill, but they have no idea how to get it out of those tanks or into the cars or or, or anything. You know, it's like if if all you got left is uh, like a computer game playing uh, Generation Z or Zoomers or something, who can't even uh, mend a bicycle. Uh, you know, uh, how are they going to? utilize that oil up on those tanks. Uh, I think we will see a lot of those kinds of situations, uh, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting how all this unfolds. It's going to be um, theater in all the good ways and in all the bad ways. <laughs> I think uh, shit show is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. On the on, in the big picture, yeah, shit show. But you know, in all the uh, all the local areas and stuff, it could be um, you know a bit of theater watching it and then trying to navigate it. Yeah, yeah. I think so. But it's all <laughs> it's happening now. We we we're, we're not in the future. <laughs> anyway, as you said, it's futile to talk about the future. What we're observing now, we're we're riding the the wave now. I think seriously, like it's great that we are actually together and we can we can witness what's happening where we are. But it's it's I, as you, I'm a bit of a recluse. Um, I don't know how going south is out there in Groenland, but um, the signs uh, that you would have in a city. Uh, um, Bob and, and well, Tom was gone now would be more more flagrant, but it is happening now. It's it's everywhere. The, the makeup of the media and the, the the sort of big declarations and the the the, the, the play is still still a comedy. It's going to it's probably going to become more tragic or tragic comic uh, in the next. Uh, sorry for the noise behind. I'm I'm kind of eating and one second I'm going to have to <laughs> to stop there. One second. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because you get into these situations where it's like, um, like earlier uh, last week, um, a coworker was talking to me and, you know, it's the same old boring conversation of work and bills and all that bullshit. And he asked me about my living situation. I talked about how oh, I'm renting, I'm splitting a mortgage, but, you know, my roommate owns a house. And he is like, it's unfathomable to him that I'm not like getting my own mortgage or I don't have a car. And he's just like, well, why don't you have your own? And then as I'm sitting there thinking, well, should I like, this guy's like in his 50s, probably thinking about his pension and all that. And I'm sitting there thinking, should I burst this bubble or should I just, you know, let let them have their happy delusions until the end? Like, you know, I think uh, even Lord, he was having that kind of problem with people in his life. It's like, what do you do in those situations? I just, at the time, I just like let him have his thing. I'm like, well, you know, I just, I just like doing this. You know, I just left it that I didn't want to burst this bubble, but it's like, you know, it's hard to know whether or not that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, idea for 
mobility at least you know like uh, seven years ago i was like you i think db because i was renting an apartment in in downtown oslo and just because i was renting all i had to do was just pack up or throw away or clean up all my shit and you know put it put my luggage on the train and move west uh, to bergen and then a year later move north to or even further west really to, to greenland and uh, i think in a, in a time of already accelerating collapse it's it's uh, it's actually an asset to have to own few things and to and a house not being one of the things you own but just renting which is a bad idea otherwise in the economy but we're not living in a normal uh, period of history we're living in, in the collapse so so being able to pack up uh, on a week's notice or something uh, and just uh, get the hell out of there and move to somewhere where there is game or fish or whatever i think it's a good uh, good asset yeah but you see i i found myself by the really a destiny um really owning a place because I, I bought this old shed and I changed it into a house and blah, blah. It was not something that I was looking for. I wanted to rent all my life. But now that I'm given this situation, I say, well, people who will pack up and who will leave their rented place, at least they can, they can come to some people who have a place or at least who are not going to be put out of it because they're not in a city. And uh, you know what I mean? So we all get, it's all going to be a tapestry of, of various scenarios that will probably have to do a lot with uh, with destiny and, and where you are and, you know, without too much control and decision. And things can change. You see, uh, it, and I understand that what you say, especially when you were in Oslo or people who are in big cities, that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be tied to anything there um, if I was there, that's for sure. And, and the, But if you say that you're going to jump on a train and go west, you can do it when the collapse is... Is, uh, is still uh, at a distance, but in, in the middle of everything, you know, uh, the trains might not be working. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's all it's all different for everyone. The main thing is that we know what we're, we. The main thing is that we are uh, totally aware that it's happening now. It's not it's not in the future. It's now. I think. Yeah, I was I was thinking uh, a couple of days ago, this week, uh, when uh, uh, certain things looked a bit dark, you know, in my my. Uh, private life and stuff. Uh, I, I was thinking that it's important to remind yourself of two things. Uh, you have to remember uh, where you are and when you are, basically. Uh, and uh, and the when bit is, of course, you know, for, for the few us who understand it, the when is uh, in, in the middle of a collapse uh, situation. Uh, and for me, the where, where I am, uh, and these things were supposed to, to cheer me up, right? <laughs> when I was saying it to myself. So the where I am is like, I'm not, I'm not living uh, in a flat in in uh, Paris or Berlin or Rome or New Mexico or Oslo. Uh, I'm, that was that was like seven years ago. So so I'm I'm living in a beautiful area with a lot of fish and game and everything. Uh, so I I'm kind of ahead of where I would otherwise be. Uh, so if if everything just goes to shit, I at least don't have to pack up my my stuff and. The West just already did that, and uh, yeah, so it's important to have these small tricks to to remind you of that things are not not totally dark. Uh, anyway, 